So that means that you guys uh, get to be uh, witness to another episode of Jamie Does Something Embarrassing to uh, Himself. I, I, you guys have heard a couple of stories when I've preached. One, uh, when I was in peewee football and, and got tackled from behind uh, when I was going in to score a touchdown. Uh, and I think one time I told you, and this is my favorite story, I, I've told you about the time I put Dawn dishwashing liquid in the dishwasher. A few of you came up to me afterwards and said, I've done that before too. So, uh, so I'm, I am all about doing embarrassing things and then sharing them with people. I figure if I'm going to do them, uh, you need to hear about them as well. I might as well get some run out of it if I've got to, if I've got to do something embarrassing. Um, so I'll give you a little background about myself. And, and you may not know this if you don't know me. I'm, I'm a touch on the socially awkward side. When I get into new social situations, I never know what to, to, to do, never know what to say, never know where to look. If, if I meet you in the hallway upstairs, it's just me and you. It, I just am so awkward because I never know. Do I look you in the face? Do I, do I say hey to you? Do I stop and talk to you? Do I shake your hand? All that goes through my mind. I usually end up just going, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and the people are going, I did not know you were Pentecostal when I walked by them in the hallways. So I'm a little bit socially awkward. Uh, and, and, and to make up for that, I, I, you know, like I said, I never know what to do with my hands. I'm always trying to find something to do to occupy myself, to, to make me look like I know what I'm doing in those situations. And I'm just going to tell you, thank the Lord for cell phones because cell phones are great in a socially awkward situation. And I took my cell phone out of my pocket so I wouldn't be disturbed while I was up here. But, you know, you're talking to somebody and the, the conversation gets into a lull. And I can always just pull out my cell phone. And I have, listen, I have a, a dumb cell phone. I don't have one of these smartphones that gets internet and text and, all, uh, and, and uh, email and all that stuff. I just get, I get a phone call and a text. And that's it. And that's really all I need. I'm fine. So, but I'll pull it out and I'll scroll through all the text messages that I have just to see what's going on. I, I go, oh, yeah, I need to delete that text message. So all this is going on in my brain in social situations. So I was a young youth pastor just out of seminaries. My first church, uh, I was invited to uh, one of my youth youth's home. His family invited us invited me and Marjorie and uh, Elizabeth to, uh, Victoria hadn't been born yet, Elizabeth was about two, invited us to their, to their home. Uh, and so we went. Uh, and, and again, I, the whole time, for the two hours before that, I'm trying to figure out, am I sick? Do I feel sick? Do I have something going on? Is there an emergency? Can I get out of this? And, and you know, finally, at the time to come to leave, and I was like, no, nah, I can't. So we go, and, and we, we get there about 30 minutes early. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know this until we showed up, but this was a, a family who had uh, a, a student in our youth ministry who had uh, a brother and sister-in-law who came to the church, and they had a student in the youth ministry <clears throat> whose grandparents came to the church uh, and who had good friends. So they invited like five families to come to, to their house, uh, and we show up a little bit early, and I find out they've got more families coming, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so weird. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And... The family is still doing some preparation in the kitchen, so they tell us, just go ahead and have a seat in the kitchen, in the, in the, in the dining room, and we'll get you something to drink, and we'll be in there in a little while to, uh, to kind of keep you guys company. So Marjorie and I are sitting at the table. We're kind of having conversations through the doorway of the kitchen. I'm sipping on some sweet tea, and I look down in front of me, <clears throat> and I know Satan put it there. There was a suction cup. It's, a, it's, a, it's about, you know, two inches around, 
And I'm sure it was to hold up a, um, a wreath on a window or a door somewhere. And, and so I, I tell you, I have to do something with my hands. So I pick up the suction cup, and it's got the little thing that you, you push in on. So I'm spinning it around on the table. And Marjorie's looking at me like, what are you doing? And so I'm spinning the suction cup around. And then I go, ah. And I stuck the suction cup to my forehead. Now, I, I do not know why I stuck the suction cup to my forehead other than the fact that I'm just a really socially awkward guy who doesn't know how to handle social situations very well. So I stick the cup to, suction cup to my forehead and my wife looks at me like, yeah, that looks really cool. And I'm like, well, I'm the youth pastor. I'm supposed to do fun things. So I'm going... And then finally I just went and stuck it on there. And I'm drip, sipping on my sweet tea. We're talking through, the, 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 this guy's name's Rocky, so I'm talking to Rocky. He's telling me about, he's a big Clemson fan, so I'm talking to him about the Clemson Tigers. And we're just kind of catching up on stuff and talking about stuff. And about 15, 20 minutes later, I guess, uh, people start coming in. And so Marjorie looks at me and she goes, I was like, oh yeah, such a good. And then she goes, her eyes get big. She goes, and I went, no, I'm still up there. It's right here. She's like, you've got a big red mark on your forehead. <laughs> and I went, really? And so what's the natural thing to do when somebody tells you you've got a big red mark on your forehead? I go, <laughs> and she goes, that's not going to get it off. And so for the next hour, as people are coming in and I'm having conversations, a lot of them is the first time they've seen me outside of a church situation, church setting. I have to explain to them that I was playing with a suction cup and stuck the suction cup onto my forehead. And that's why I have a big red mark on my forehead. It's one of those really embarrassing times, but it did teach me a lesson. It taught me not to stick suction cups on my forehead. So I put that in the file with the don't put Dawn dishwashing liquid in the dishwasher and I stored it away. And, and I have not to this day stuck a suction cup on my forehead in public. I won't say what I've done in private, but I will tell you that I haven't done it in public. Well, whether it's intentional or not, we're all going to do something in our lives that's going to leave a scar or a mark. And, and, and many times we are left with a reminder of poor decision-making from our younger selves because of some scar that we have, some mark that we have. Sometimes those, sometimes those scars, sometimes those marks are physical. Sometimes they'll fade away over time. Sometimes we're just left with them. But a lot of times those scars are emotional, mental, uh, and physical. And on a, on a spiritual level, listen, on a spiritual level, we are all going to make decisions that lead us into sin. And there are consequences to our sin that we must face. I had to face the consequences of sticking a suction cup on my forehead in a social setting. I had to explain myself to people because I had a mark on my forehead. Now, now that's not, really, that's not a big deal. And I'll be honest with you, for, for, I was at that church for about six and a half years, and, and I, I can tell you that probably uh, half a dozen times after that, we had conversations about the time I stuck a suction cup on my forehead with the people who were at that party. And, and, and it eventually turned into a point that we could look back on and go, that was kind of funny. But it did have some immediate consequences in our lives. 
And sometimes, you know, sometimes the consequences of our sin are, are life-changing, but many times they're not. Sometimes they fade quickly. But we still have to face up to the consequences. So this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that uh, will help us come to terms with, with our sin and the consequences of our sin and then how to be reconciled with God. Hopefully as we, as we walk this journey of faith, this will help us uh, where we are today and as we go forward in the future. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to please turn to Psalm 51. <clears throat> and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin." For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, O oh God, will not despise. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, may they speak to us this morning in ways that encourage us and help us in our journey with you. And Lord, most of all, may they lead us to worship you with our lives, to worship you with every ounce of who we are, not just on a Sunday morning, but every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start with a little context from Psalm 51. Some of you are going to know it, but I want to make sure everybody does. Uh, right underneath in your Bible, it says Psalm 51. There's a part that I didn't read, and it says, for the director of music. Y'all see that? Everybody see that in your Bible? Looking down, we'll make sure everybody's got it. For the director of music, and then it says, a psalm of David. Now, I want to make sure we know who David is. David was the king of Israel at this point in time. David had, before he, become, before he became king, he had shown himself to be a, a faithful follower of the one true God. He had uh, committed his life to following that God. Uh, he, in the process of, uh, of doing that, had become a faithful companion to Saul, the king. 
He had proven to be uh, somewhat uh, important to Saul. He had fought Goliath and killed Goliath when, when none of the, nobody else would go out and fight. And his words before he went out was, this battle is the Lord's, not mine. In, in 1 Samuel 13, he is called a man after God's own heart. He is at this point when he writes this psalm, the king of Israel. The most powerful man in the country. So, so let's, let's, this sounds like a good guy, but let's finish the sentence here. It says, a psalm of David, a man after God's own heart. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, I, I think this is important for us to, to, to realize that The Bible doesn't try to cover up who David was, doesn't try to whitewash what he did. It puts it right out there in front of us. And you'll find the story of uh, King David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And listen, if you need something to get your mind off of everything that's going on in the political uh, arena these days, go read 2 Samuel 11. It may encourage you at this point in time, although it's not a great story. And, And in that story... We find uh, David in Jerusalem at his palace. And he has sent his armies off to fight the battles that he, the king, is supposed to lead them to fight. And while he is back in his palace and the armies are fighting, he finds, he sees a woman named Bathsheba. He thinks she's attractive. He finds out who she is. He brings, uh, he has her brought to him. He commits adultery with her, and then he sends her back to her house. And then after that episode, Bathsheba lets David know, I'm pregnant with your child. And so David goes, I'm in trouble. Now, now a lot of stuff goes on, but just to, to in between here and there, but just so that we can kind of cut to the chase, David has Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, killed in battle. He sets it up so that Uriah is killed, and then after he is... Uh, after his death, he takes Bathsheba and her, the baby that's to be his, into his house. And he goes about living his life. Now, that doesn't sound like a man after God's own heart. I, I can say I have stuck, stuck suction cups on my forehead, and I have put Dawn dishwashing liquid in dishwashers, and I have done some things in my life. I've never committed adultery. I've never, had, uh, I've never committed murder. That those two things I feel like I'm okay on. I feel like I have, haven't done those things, so I feel like I'm okay. But I'm not sure God would call me a man after his own heart in the same way that he did with David. So there's something that we can learn from David and his sin. If you've got a pen and pencil, I want you to write this down in the insert on the, the notes. I want to look at the seven stages of David's sin real quickly. I'm not going, to, not going to spend too much time on them. But I want you to know seven stages to David's sin. The first is complacency or comfort, whichever one you want to call it. David was kind of complacent. He said, I don't need to go to war. Uh, I'll let the armies and the generals take care of all of the stuff that is going on out there. I'm going to stay here where I'm comfortable. Sometimes we get into a place where we're just complacent. We're just comfortable in our life. And in our walk with Christ. So the first stage of sin that we see from David is that complacency. Second is the act, the actual act of committing adultery, of committing murder. Uh, and then we see the, the cover-up. 
We see he, he has Uriah killed and he waits the requisite amount of time and then he brings Bathsheba into, uh, into his house and he thinks, okay, it's all good now. I've got it taken care of. Nobody is wiser. Nobody knows what's going on. And then the choice to live with it. So he was complacent. He committed the act. Uh, he covered it up. And then he chooses to live with it. Bathsheba comes into his house. He's waiting for the baby to be born, and he thinks everything's hunky-dory. Everything's fine. I, I am doing great. And then there's, there's denial. Don't you think on some terms, he, to, to get to all of that, he had to deny. I, did, I don't think I did anything that bad. It couldn't have been that bad, or something would have happened. Everything's good. And then finally, the last stage, excuse me, brokenness. And we're going to see that in this psalm today. There was brokenness that happened in his life. And then finally from that, repentance and confession. So those are the seven stages that we'll look at and the things that we can learn based on David's experience uh, here that we can look at in Psalm 51. The first, the first thing I want you to know, so we've talked about the seven stages. The first thing I want you to know this morning is that we are all David. Every one of us. Every one of us in this room has been to a place where we've been complacent in our life. We've committed an act of sin. We've covered it up. We've lied about it. We've denied it. I, I don't know what it is for you. I know for me when I st- stuck the suction cup on my forehead, what was the first thing I tried to do when I, when I took it off? I go, that's what we want to do with our sin. We want to go, oh, no, it didn't happen to me. But we're all David. If, if, if you don't believe me, Romans 3.23. Now, we use this when we're sharing the gospel all the time because we want people who are lost to know you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we want everyone to come face to face with the fact that they're sinners. And a lot of times after that initial step of salvation, we begin to grow as a Christian, then we think, well, maybe I'm not as, I'm not as bad as I used to be. And it's not that we, if somebody asks us, are you a sinner? Oh, yes, I'm a sinner. But we, we live our lives indifferent to our sin. We live our lives um, oblivious to our sin. We get up, we go to work, we do the things we're supposed to do. We come home, we take care of the house, we take care of the car, we take care of the kids, go to bed, and we do it all over again the next day. But it's important for us on a daily basis, to remind ourselves we're all sinners. We're all David. We are all in that same situation. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we're all David. That's the first thing that we need to know. second thing we need to know is that sin has consequences. I've already talked a lot about it with the... the uh, suction cup on my forehead, uh, and we, we see the consequences of our sin all around us. Now, now, some of those consequences are big. An affair may lead to a divorce. An addiction may lead to the loss of uh, a family, friends, and a job. Angry words between friends or family may lead to an estrangement where you don't talk for years. They can also be small. A lie to your spouse, to your parents, to a coworker, to your boss can lead to a loss of trust. Those are all consequences of our sin and, and things that we have to deal with. They're visible. We can see those. Those are tangible evidences. 
But then there are consequences that we don't see. David brings them out here in uh, um, Psalm 51. In verse 2, he says, Wash away all of my iniquity. Now, now we don't, most of us don't walk around with dirt on our hands or on our face. I don't think that David, that's the wash that David was talking about. He's talking about he feels dirty. He, inside, emotionally, spiritually, he feels, he, he understands that his righteousness is but filthy rags. And he sees the consequences of his sin and the need to be washed. And then it goes on in verse 7, he says, cleanse me with hyssop. Now hyssop is, is I, I'm just going to kind of make it, it's, it's not a great um, illustration, but I'm going to kind of make this parallel. It's kind of like uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide. You know, you get a cut, and I always, the, the cool, I hated putting hydrogen peroxide, getting a cut, but putting the hydrogen peroxide on, it makes all the little bubbles, and it's cleaning, and it's purifying, getting the germs out. And, and you know, what do we do in our everyday lives if we, you know, we, we walk around with little hand sanitizers in our hands, and we're sanitizing and trying to purify and get all those germs off of us. Sin contaminates who we are. And we, listen, we are so concerned sometimes about getting all of the contamination on the outside taken care of. And Jesus would say, but the contamination on the inside is much more important to get rid of. There's a loss of joy. Verse 8 says, let me hear joy and gladness. There's this sense that he can't hear the joy of the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes we gloss over the loss of joy just with the everyday routine. And we think, well, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. And God says, I want you to experience joy. I want you to experience abundant life with me. And our sin keeps us from that. Then it says in verse 8, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. There's brokenness that happens inside of us when we sin. There's a broken relationship with the Father. There's broken relationships with people around us. But there's also brokenness inside. Verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Wash away the stain of my sin. Now, when we have a stain in our house, we get something out and we wipe it down, scrub it, or we get something on our clothes and we scrub it, scrub it, scrub it, trying to get it out. That's what David is asking God to do. Clean the stain, wash it away, and get rid of it. So we're all David. We're all sin. Sin has consequences. So then how do we avoid or lessen the consequences of our sin? We're never, there's always the chance that we're going to live with the consequences of our sin forever. But how do we lessen those consequences? The first step uh, in overcoming our sin is owning it. I, I want you to just go with me to verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 51 for a second. If, if you don't like to write in your Bible, I understand. But, but if you do, um, it's a great way to, to great illustration. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, now I want you to, I want you to understand just a little bit about what happened. Nathan came in, the prophet comes in to David. David thinks he's living fine, he's got it all under control, and he tells him a story. Nathan tells a story about two men, one who had hundreds of livestock, lots and lots of livestock, and one man who had one little lamb. And a, a visitor came into the town to visit the, the great man with all of the livestock, and instead of taking the, the man who had all the livestock, instead of taking one of his lambs to sacrifice for a meal, he went to the man who had only one lamb. And took that lamb from the man and sacrificed that lamb to feed his visitor. And then David, David gets irate. He goes, this man needs to be punished. This man needs to be punished for what he's done. That was unrighteous and wrong. And then Nathan looks at David and said, you... Or that man. Now, in that moment, understanding that David is the king of Israel, he had lots of options. He could have looked at Nathan and said, somebody take this guy out back and get rid of him. I don't want to hear what he has to say anymore. He could have looked at Nathan and said, Nathan, I am not that man, and, and I want you to leave right now. Don't ever come back in here. Or he could have looked at Nathan and he could have said, well... Yeah, I might have done some bad things, but I'm not as bad as an old king down in Egypt. I'm not as bad as that guy down in that country. Do you see what he's done? But instead of doing all of those things, it said that David confessed, I have sinned. And then he penned Psalm 51. He owned his sin. He looked at his sin and he said, that's my sin. He, he didn't blame it on Bathsheba. He didn't blame it on Uriah for leaving. He didn't blame it on Joab for taking the armies and not insisting that he come uh, with, that David come with the army. He took responsibility and said, that's, that's my sin. I did that. And, and the first thing that we need to do in order to avoid the consequences of our sin is to own it, is to say, that's my sin. And to look at it and say, I did this. And I did that. Then if we're willing to confront our sin head on, God is willing to forgive us when we ask for it. But now, before we get to the forgiveness, I want you to know that David was broken. He, he writes in um, verses 16 and 17, he says, You do not delight in a sacrifice or I'd bring it. In, in, in other words, he would say, the thing that's going to get forgiveness of this sin isn't me coming to church and dropping some money in an offering plate. It's, it's not going to be going to church and teaching a Sunday school class. It's not going to become more involved in, a, in a, um, a ministry to the homeless. Those are not the things that are going to get me forgiveness. Those are not, that's not the next step in forgiveness. He says... My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O oh God, will not despise. David says, I am broken and I'm contrite. 
Now, the word contrite uh, means comes from a Latin word that means ground down. That's the, the word that eventually comes from the Hebrew to the Greek to the Latin. It means ground down, wore down. And I can just sense the David, the months that had led up to this point, he had realized his sin at some point. He denied it. He hadn't taken responsibility for it. And he'd come to live with it. But still, inside him, there was something pressing down on him. That's contrition. And then brokenness. And what does brokenness look like? I love this story, uh, and I'll tell it quickly. Uh, when we were in seminary, Elizabeth was uh, probably about two years old again. This is right before we went to um, Eastern Hills in Charlotte. And we, we, we would go to the Disney store, and, and that, this was, listen, we were poor, so this was, how we, this was how we entertained ourselves. We would go to the Disney store, and we'd walk around the store, we'd, we'd play with all the toys, and then we'd leave without buying anything. I mean, you know, hey, it was, it was fun while we could do it. Um, they, they did kind of ask me to stop getting up in the, the stuffed animals and hiding in the stuffed animals uh, at some point. But, you know, we love, we love going to the Disney store. Elizabeth always ended up over in the jewelry section. I'm a jewelry, quote-unquote, uh, it was she, she. There was this one plastic bracelet, and it had. It, it was just plastic uh, cutouts of different Disney characters, and, and it was on this little stretchy band. You know, it, cheap. Let, let me just say, it was cheap. Probably cost about eight bucks. And and, and I just went, I can't afford eight bucks right now. I've got you know I've got other stuff that's more important. You know, like food and electricity and car payment and things like that. Uh, you know, but at, at, at some point. We did get $8. I can just tell you this. Every time we went to the Disney store, every time, the last thing Elizabeth would do, she'd go put that bracelet on and she'd look at it and then she'd take it off and she'd put it back and then we'd leave. She loved that bracelet. So we bought the bracelet for her. We gave it to her uh, when we got home. She didn't know we'd bought it. I went back in, bought it after we had uh, left the store, came home and said, Elizabeth, we got something we'll give you. We gave her the bracelet. Man, she just lit up. And I, I, as a parent, look, you know, eight bucks, that was worth every second of that. She put it on, and she wore it everywhere. I don't know if it was a week, two, a month later. I come home, she didn't have her bracelet on. I said, Elizabeth, where's your bracelet? She didn't want to tell me. I was like, okay, what happened? So she goes up to her room, and she comes back, and she had, you know, pulled on the bracelet, pulled on the bracelet, pulled on the bracelet, broke the bracelet. And so, I, look, I knew all it took was putting all those little pieces back on that little string and tying it up again, and I could give it back to her. And I, I, said, to Victor, I said to Elizabeth, I said, Elizabeth, if you give me the pieces of the bracelet, I can put it back together again. And she's got all the pieces in her two hands, and she wouldn't let go. And, and she's embarrassed. She'd broken the bracelet that she loved so much. She starts to, you know, two years old, she starts to cry a little bit. And I was like, it's okay, honey. I put her up on my lap and I said, just let me have the pieces and I'll put them back together for you. And she goes, I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't mean to break it. And she holds up her hands. And I went, wow. You want to know what brokenness is? It's taking all the pieces of your life that you've messed up all the sin in your life and going to God, tears in your eyes, and going, I, I can't put it back together. I need you to. 
And I'll say this in closing. Forgiveness is divine. There is no sin that God isn't willing to forgive. There is nothing that you can do that God will not forgive. David David is a great illustration of that. But David had to do this first. He had to be broken. He had to be contrite. And he had to utter these words, Have mercy on me, O God. I ask you to write down those those seven stages of forgiveness because I want you to just take a second and look back at those and find out where are you. Maybe, maybe there is something, and you know you're hiding it from God. You know that you are doing, you, you, have, you have chosen to live with that sin, and, and you don't want to live with it anymore. Maybe you've been in denial. And, and this morning, the prophet Nathan, not Jamie, but the prophet Nathan has spoken to you and said, you are that person. Maybe you're just complacent. Maybe you're just to a place where I'm comfortable and I'm just not being aware of my sinfulness and my need for God. As we sing this morning, the altar's open for you to pray. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, give me an awareness of my sin. Give, make me aware of what's going on. Put Nathan in my life, God. Somebody who will speak the truth to me. Or maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. But would you stand with me as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus.